step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. How you doing? I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. You know, when it comes to pronouns, there's a whole new world going on out there. But as Renee Carr explains in her book entitled, I Suck at Pronouns, it's not impossible. When my son told me he was transgender, then I had to start learning all new pronouns. Nobody knows what to do. Like, what's the right? What's the wrong? You don't want to offend anybody. And that's why I wrote the book. My son came out as transgender in seventh or eighth grade. And it was, the book is pretty much the journey from like that point forward of just dealing with it and trying to understand it. And in your fifties, I don't think I ever knew anyone who was transgender. You know, we knew Caitlyn Jenner and that was about it. So it was kind of, I wanted to write a book explaining the learning process and trying to help people my age or older to decipher what's going on in this, you know, brave new world. Your son was born a girl. Were there any indications? He swears there were, but I never saw him. I mean, I'm not exactly the most feminine chick on the planet. So, you know, if he wanted to play with dinosaurs or help me in construction, I was like, yeah, cool. You know, never in a million years did I think, oh, yeah, I think my girl's a boy. By the time he hit seventh grade, there were definite changes. Like he just wanted to shop in the boys department and, you know, didn't want to do any of the things he was doing previously. And I was like, Oh, you know, and then you start thinking, all right, you know, I have a lesbian that's okay. You know? And then, uh, and then a little while later it was like, Oh, I think we're a little more than just gay. <laughs> so. so this book is about him coming out to you. And then how did you feel? He, I actually asked him because everything just started changing. And I was like, all right, what are we dealing with here? Mama needs to know. And then he was like, well, um, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm, uh, I feel like I'm a boy. And I was like, okay, are we sure about this? And he's like, I think so. I'm like, all right, maybe we should talk to somebody professional because I have no idea what I'm doing. So then we got a therapist and the therapist helped tremendously. And then group, like, you know, there was group therapy with a bunch of other LGBT kids. And, uh, that was probably the biggest help right there. But it was one of those things. It was like, I suck at pronouns. I kept screwing up the pronouns. And then he would bring home a friend and the friend is they, or, you know, a girl I knew for years is now he, you know, so it, I really, I sucked at pronouns. So, and then all my friends would have like a million questions. I was like, you know, maybe I should just write a book. So everybody that has these same questions, I just answer it once. <laughs> Is there one question that you get all the time? Yeah, there's some rude ones. You know, people always want to know well, what's in their pants and, and things like that, which you, know, you don't answer because it's just rude. Like when, when someone keeps saying she, like someone that knew him before still says she. And I'm like, there's a lot more kids growing up that are like my kid. And this is something you're going to have to learn that, you know, you got to get the pronouns right or, you know, you're going to hurt their feelings. How old is your son now? He'll be 19. And how's he doing? 
he's in college now and absolutely blossoming. So he's in the middle of transition. Like he's um, legally in the process of changing his name. You know, uh, he's taking testosterone. When I wrote the book, I don't think he was quite doing that yet. Yeah, that concerns me just because you don't know. It could be a phase. You don't know. You really don't. So when he first came out, I was like, we're not going to do anything yet. Let's go through therapy for a couple of years. Let's make sure this is real because there are kids that, you know, are just trending. And um, we call them the trans trenders. <laughs> and uh, he's not one of them. You know, it's not a phase. So once we realized, you know, OK, this is not a phase. This is real. Then I was like, all right, you know, you can talk to the doctor. Let's let's see about, you know, hormones and we went to a um, transgender wellness conference and uh, learned a tremendous amount there. Just the thousands of people that are transgender and so many of them commit suicide because they're just not accepted in today's society. And it's such a, a sad place to be. So, so how was your community, your friends, his friends, her friends? Uh, well, his friends were all right. They knew way before I did. My friends were actually a lot more supportive then I, you know, I, I kind of expected a lot of backlash because, you know, you see all the memes with Caitlyn Jenner and everything like that. And uh, really, all my friends have been very supportive. Um, our town was very um, right wing uh, at the time. And uh, our mayor was just like the most supportive guy on the planet. He was like the first one to call him Nathan. and So it was pretty cool. You're so lucky. I am very lucky. I am. Well, you're lucky because you're an open-minded woman who loves her child regardless of what he or she is. It doesn't matter. It's your child. I think that's the way everybody should be, but I, I would hate to think that I'm in the minority there. I think some parents have a really difficult time. Well, I know they do because when we went to the conference, 25 young men on the panel, transgender males, I think two had said they were accepted by their parents. The rest had been thrown out when they came out. Well, Renee, I give you a lot of credit for sharing your story. Thank you so much. When the U.S. left North Vietnam, some vets were left behind. Vahan Asadorian tells the true story of one vet who spent years trying to escape Hanoi. And when he finally did with the help of Chinese agents, the CIA wanted him assassinated because he was considered an embarrassment. This is the story of Conch. The story was about the, the, a sergeant. His last name was Kujina. But everybody in the army called him Kanch. His battalion escaped the North Vietnamese because Kanch radioed the headquarters to get heavy bombardment at that a certain area. And uh, while that was happening, his battalion escaped. And but Kanch got hurt when one of the bombs fell close to him. And he was wounded and he was uh, captured by the North Vietnamese. Everybody else got out. Colonel, who sent them out, had fighter jets and helicopters going after the North Vietnamese. And they tried to get Kanch out, but it didn't work out. And uh, that's one of the reasons that the North Vietnamese took him and started interrogating because they thought that he was a very important person if the fighter jets and the helicopters wanted to take him home. And that's when that's when all hell broke. He and the, his uh, partner got captured, and on the way back, the Vietnamese soldiers, one of them, was fooling around and put a sidearm on the head of the partner and he killed him. 
and they said, well, it was an accident, and that made Conch go bananas. He, he became totally disoriented with everything, but eventually he, he knew how to get out of there, and he escaped, and he was captured by the Chinese, and uh, they, at the time, were not exactly happy with the Vietnamese government, and they were the ones who took him all the way to Thailand, and that's where everybody was surprised that he he had escaped. And uh, CIA headquarters asked CIA in Thailand to kill him because it was embarrassing, because they didn't want people to know that we had personnel still in North Vietnam. And for a proof, they wanted the, the guy who killed him to take one of his ears and nail it to the CIA headquarters. But the guy went against headquarters and uh, asked the Australian people, well, kind of the Australian CIA, to take him and take him to uh, Australia. He was told not to come to the United States because if he did, they were going to kill him. So eventually, uh, I'm going to write a book saying where he returns to the United States. Looking forward to that, Vahan. Thank you. Dave Perry kept a journal as a teenager and then started writing poems and short stories. And then something happened on Facebook that led him to write the story of Maxwell Park. Yeah, A guy on Facebook hit me up and said, hey, I saw a picture of you and this blonde guy. Is his name Robert? And I was like, yeah, that's my brother, Bob. He's like, dude, you're little Davey. I'm like, man, I haven't heard that in over 40 years. And that's what kind of inspired me to write this. And I started writing just as kind of a therapeutic thing and, you know, just bored and, you know, my off hours to start writing. And it really conjured up memories. He and I talked on Facebook Messenger and literally three years later, it was like, okay, I think I need to finish this. And actually, I think this is a story. Two brothers basically hook up with a couple of other brothers in the neighborhood in Oakland way back when. And, uh, Kind of me and my older brother with our friends, Marcellus, who, you know, we reunite on Facebook and uh, then we're talking and just getting into some good trouble and bad trouble and hanging out and playing football, you know, just having a good time being friends. In in the book, uh, there are several instances that that happened and, you know, they mostly centered around the Black Panthers. Uh, the Black Panthers were, you know, in the neighborhood and they did a lot of great stuff, you know, free breakfast at the schools that we ate at and free ambulance service and all this stuff. But the life changing stuff was, uh, you know, seeing the conflict where, you know, they would always be listening to the police scanner and they would show up whenever there was any issue and um, and they'd show up armed. Uh, to protect, you know, people from police brutality. It was intense. Wow. Yeah. That's not how you would think about, you know, people think about the Black Panthers 
being the troublemakers. No, they were fragmented. They had some issues at the top, I believe, with Huey Newton and whatnot. But they had like free health screening in the community, heart disease and diabetes and sickle cell. And they had a free ambulance service. And me and my older brother ate at the free breakfast at the elementary school every morning. And they did a lot of great stuff. And really, they were going to go nationwide, but they got taken out, you know, by J. Edgar Hoover and all them. Anyway, it, that was when we saw the conflict. And then when Bobby Hutton got murdered and when stuff went down, it was a big deal. I remember when Marlon Brando um, came to Lake Merritt and spoke at a Black Panthers function. That was kind of cool. I know my mom was excited and we went there. And, and a couple other points of interest in there is Angela Davis. She is just a remarkable, very intelligent, wonderful person. My mom really and dad really admired her, her ideas on social structures. But basically, you know, what it boils down to really, especially with me chatting with Marcellus, is, you know, the camaraderie of us kids. You know, it was the, you know, innocence of youth, you know, and uh, getting into the good and bad mayhem, you know. We had a great time. Maxwell Park was the name of where you lived? Yeah, I was the basically the, the borough or, or neighborhood, yeah. A blue-collar community? Uh, very much. Back then especially, it's always been kind of blue-collar. It's a bit gentrified now, but the Maxwell Park area is still a lot of, uh, you know, the older families are still there. And man, e even in the turbulence of the times, like, it was so awesome to just hang out with, you know, brown and black kids and us white kids. And, you know, we just had a great time. Really interesting perspective, Dave. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, but we're coming right back. This is the Page Publishing Book Club. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then now's the time to call Page Publishing at 800-204-6099 and do it immediately. You see, they're looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review most of the books submitted to them. And they'll even give you their feedback. And if they like what they read, Page Publishing will get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, and other outlets. They'll handle everything. Copyright protection, printing, cover art, publicity, and editing. So if you've written a novel, a children's book, a cookbook, inspirational work, a book of poetry, or biography, and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-204-6099 now for your free author submission kit. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. For your free author submission kit, call Page Publishing at 800-204-6099. We're back on the Page Publishing Book Club. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. A chaplain at a local jail in Annapolis and a history buff, Jane Ann Lehman became fascinated by the characters in the Bible and reimagines what kinds of conversations might have taken place between these noble, God-fearing, and, like all of us, flawed individuals. The name of her book? El Shaddai, Volume 2. Yeah, well, I thought I was Volume 1. It, I just kept writing until I got done. <laughs> it came out to be two volumes, and I didn't realize it was going to be that big. But it started with Isaac and Rebecca and their meeting, which was an arranged marriage, of course. Then the uh, disappointment she had in not getting pregnant because that was so important for women to reproduce. And then when she had the twins and the battle between the twins and Isaac was favoring Esau, the firstborn, and she was favoring Jacob. And she'd had a vision that the 
older would serve the younger. So she thought Jacob should be the one to inherit the covenant and all that. That issue, and then which led to Jacob fleeing to, well, what we call Mesopotamia, Padanaram then, and then um, finding a wife for himself. What do you do with these biblical stories? I enhance them quite a bit. Now, it ends with Jacob's death. So it's just mostly about Jacob and his family, including his parents and then his offspring, or rather adventures of Lot, too. Uh, I think the thing that intrigued me about this whole part was just what did Jacob say the morning after he got married when he realized he married the wrong sister? What was the response to that? And that got me so intrigued with the entire story. So did you just imagine? Yeah, I imagine a heck of a lot of because I mean, I bet he was pretty mad when he realized he'd married Leah instead of Rachel and had to work another seven years to pay the bride price for Rachel. By the time we finished volume one, he has had 10 children born to him, all males, done by Rachel, six by his first wife, Leah, and then two by Leah's concubine and two by Rachel's concubine. And then, which they sat on the left, so it was the offspring of the woman who was being the lap for the other woman's actually giving birth. That's throughout the Bible. And then volume one ends with a celebration because finally both of Jacob's wives are pregnant. And they begin off with that, which gets into the story of Joseph and his brothers and their adventures. I wonder how they felt about that. Well, Reuben was firstborn, so he should have inherited. Uh, there's one verse in the Bible that says that Reuben lost his rights as firstborn because he'd had an affair with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And that's just one verse. I think I got about 50 pages out of that episode. <laughs> Trying to get into all the shenanigans of it. But it was a lot of the things I made up. The only thing the Bible says, Jacob spent 20 years in Mesopotamia on this bride thing and trying to get out from under his uncle, the girl's father. And in that time, the Bible just records the children that were born and a couple of shenanigans that Jacob and his uh, father-in-law did. He was also his uncle, his mother's brother. And I needed some other things so that put things in their events that I think were common in that day and age, such as there was raiders coming through and so on. They had to organize a defense for the village they were in and stuff like that. And then, of course, we get to the main point of that second part of the second volume is selling is the relationship between Joseph, the 11th born child, and the 10 older brothers. And uh, in fact, his little getting sold into slavery and his metamorphosis he went through when he realized that I portrayed Joseph as sort of a spoiled brat. And he had this dream, well, you guys are all going to bow down to me and stuff like that. And, but that didn't go too well. I think he went through a metamorphosis, but I don't pick him up in the story again until 20 years later when the famine comes and the brothers have to go down to Egypt to buy grain. He's in charge of it. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him at first. So at any rate, it's a fascinating story and all the ins and outs of it. Well, what's fascinating is how you went about filling in the blanks. Yeah, I, I well, I minored in history in college, and so on. I've always been a history fan. And I did a lot of research on what the mores were of the time, and especially regarding women, which did not have much rights. There's the one part where Leah finally does have a girl. That's when both of them were pregnant. Rachel finally had Joseph in, and Leah had a, a girl, Dinah. And according to the Bible, 
uh, the prince of this town that they were abiding nearby. They were sheep herders, and they were renting out pastures in the upper lands during the summertime. And the king of this town, Shechem, his son got a little too fresh. They were thinking about getting married, according to me. I think they were. And because that's what the father of the prince that raped Dinah proposed as a solution, that they marry and their peoples become one people. And my son was just really struck when he read this in my book that Jacob insisted that all of the royal family and the soldiers and so on become circumcised because that was part of their faith as a sign of their faith in one God there. And so they did. And according to the Bible, on the third day, when these men were all still sore, very sore, Jacob's sons attacked them. <laughs> he kind of wiped them out. David said he read that and thought, that's not in the Bible. That can't be in the Bible. Mom made that up. And so he looked at it. It is in the Bible. <laughs> so he had a good time with that one. Yeah, I bet. My mom always says, you know, it's the most erotic book ever written. Thanks, Jane Ann. Before Dave Gerald got into the construction industry in Reno, he was in the bar industry, clearing the way for him to share Bar Protocol, the disgruntled bar manager's guide, and help for those in the beverage and restaurant industry. When I was in the industry, I would write down notes of things that I felt other managers might need. There's so many situations that where customers and employees put you in certain situations that you have no answer to. It, it got to the point where you're like always calling in, well, what would you do if? And uh, it was just one of those things I had to kind of write. I thought it was humorous, uh, you know, something I could make it humorous and informative. An example, I had, a, I had a, a lady and her family coming to the casino to come in the restaurant, and it, we were closing. And it was 15 minutes. The registers had already been counted out, and they were like, well, I brought my family of 12 here. I'm like, I'm sorry. The food's already been put away, and uh, I'm sorry you're going to have to come back because it, it reopened in two hours. It was the lunch special. They were living this lady even put a curse on me in, in Italian. I was, yeah, and I was like, uh, ma'am, I'm sorry. I can't, you know. Did she do the horns? I, you know what? She was speaking in, in, in Italian. I, I swear to God, I was like, are you really putting a, a hex on me? She's like, I curse you. And I was like, oh, wow, wow. And I, I you know, that's just, you know, one of the more angry situations. And uh, there was some funny ones, uh, you know, especially being in a casino that that large. But uh, there's some... Uh, funny things going on where alcohol, people are selfish at times, you know, and they want things done their way when they want it. And that's kind of why I wrote Barb Protocol, because there's those times you just don't know where to go. And it, it comes down to just listening to the customer. Yeah. And staying calm when they get upset. And, and be sympathetic. That's the hard part. You know, uh, I managed two small casinos and then also managed two large casinos. Um, I was never the head manager, but I was in the public view. The head managers are usually down in the basement, you know, making out uh, schedules and stuff. But uh, it's a great way for young adults to earn their money, you know, without a big education. I think it was the best education I got in, you know, just being a waitress, being gracious when you want to just kill them, <laughs> covering up mistakes like tripping. And I, the whole salad tray went all over this guy's lap with ice cubes and stuff. Oh, man. It's amazing. You can control the situation. I agree 100%. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, 
it's a great way for young young adults to make good money. If you're organized and stay that way and learn how to do the things you need to do, it, it's a, a good job. And, there, and the funny part about the food and beverage, there's so many different positions, you know, from waiter to bartender to, to everything that any individual can find a job in the food and beverage industry. I hear you. You know, I always figured if this radio thing didn't work out for me, I'd go back to waitressing. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. All right, Dave, thanks so much. An unplanned, exciting, and erotic adventure inspired Mark Zulo to share hard journey of the heart, Jesse's story. So basically, my inspiration was I had been on a vacation and I wanted to write something about some escapades that had occurred. And and it just kind of blew up from there. It kind of started out as some journal writing on some adventures that I've had in my life. And I just started embellishing and creating and adding dialogue. And next thing you know, I had a book. It came out of left field then, sort of. It did, absolutely. You know, I always said I want to write a book. It would be fun. But I never really gave it too much thought. I didn't know what I would write about. And then... This just kind of came out of, as you say, of left field. I've been a musician my whole life. and What do you play? Uh, piano and sing. Nice. It's a, it's a coming-of-age romance novel told in first person, so it's almost like a biography or an autobiography. It's nonlinear, so the timeline jumps all around, which basically keeps the reader interested the whole time through. So... For instance, if one character dies, you don't find out in chapter one. So you don't get to find out all the juicy endings until the end of the book since it's all nonlinear, which I think has been very exciting. How did you meet this person? Oh, in, in, uh, in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. It's kind of a, kind of a gay scene and uh, basic gay people they you know i mean all you gotta do is walk down the street and you bat an eye and the next thing you know you're in a dark alley somewhere so yeah i didn't say that did i <laughs> it was a very exciting escapade and i wanted to remember every moment of it so i started writing in detail with lots of fun little metaphors and such until i got an editor that said stop it let's just tell it like it is and stop being embarrassed about your writing and yeah, and don't apologize for it. So, <laughs> and don't give any more disclaimers. I was there for a week vacation with another friend, and so he had his adventures, I had mine. And and then it was over, that was it? Yeah, pretty much. Never heard from him again. Someday he may find his name in the book. I actually use his real name. You don't use his real name. Oh. Some people got the real name in there. Some people got fictitious names. Nobody will ever know what parts are real and what parts are made up. Basically, um, I've been told from all the reviews I've gotten is that it's kind of like the mix between a super deep emotional terms of endearment type of a movie mixed with an X-rated porn. Totally hot, uh, very in-your-face, detailed sexual escapades. The, uh, the sexual nature is extremely steamy it the magic of it is every single book you can bring any character back you want to whether they're dead or alive you can bring them back because you're going back through the timeline again adding new characters new new adventures because you know as you and i right now are creating a story together but when you get off the phone you will go your way and i'll go mine and if we talk again we'll be bringing our stories back 
So that's that's what the the beauty of it. If I forgot something in book one with Jesse, I can tell it through someone else's eyes in book two, three, four, five, or six. Sounds like you're going to be busy, Mark. Thanks so much. A little bit of everything on this edition of the Page Publishing Book Club. Good stuff. Thank you so much for being here, and thanks to our authors. Now it's your turn. What are you thinking about? Write it down. Go ahead. Watch what happens. If you missed anything, download the podcast at 710WOR.com. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. I'll catch you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.